G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Monday evening coming at you, I hope your weekend as well. Plenty of stuff on the agenda for today. The NBA draft is only a couple of days away, so I'm going to tease an article that's coming out. It's been a while since I've released a sports Bee article uh, talking about who is the best player in this upcoming NBA draft class. Another weekend of footy. Finally, the buy rounds are behind us, so we're back to nine games on the agenda. And this round's looking pretty intriguing. I'll dive into all of the round 15 stuff with JLo, but there's a couple of fantasy things that I want to touch on, mainly in the ruck department. And a lot of fantasy coaches have had their patience tested in the past couple of days with uh, their ruck rotation. A couple of other bits of footy news. There's some NBA tidbits that I want to get to as well. So once again, a lot on the agenda. Let's get amongst it. Okay, let's address the elephant in the room, which is the large fries and Coke. So it's been a while since I've scored as poorly as I scored on the weekend. I had 15, 46, 40 odd. So a pretty abysmal score. I think it put me about 30,000th for the week. Not exactly the territory that I want to be in. And a big part of the reason that I was slipping down the ranks and that I scored so poorly was... A couple of injuries, a couple of things out of my control, but I was one of the coaches who fell victim to the uh, Braden Pruce gamble. I traded him out last week uh, on round 13 to grab Josh Kelly. And then round 14 rolled around. It was just before the Giants game. I had my sights set on trading Max Gorn to Tim English. And I did what a lot of coaches did and tried to go for a quick cash grab, make another 200 odd grand and trade down to Braden Pruce. And boy, oh boy, was it a 13 to 15 minute roller coaster watching Prucey play for the Giants. He actually looked pretty good, scored in decent clips, was getting tons of hit outs, but then obviously he got himself suspended and injured all within the space of about 10 minutes. And there's a lot of fantasy coaches out there that were hoping they could trade him to Tim English. No worries, move on from Braden Pruce. But the bloke that he did tackle, Tim English, and got suspended for, uh, is now out with delayed concussion symptoms as well. So, fuck me. Just when you thought there were a couple of ruckmen that you could pick and you could trust, everything has been uh, thrown to the wolves. So, I'm very intrigued to see what a lot of coaches are going to do with their ruck rotation this week. I've still got Darcy Cameron sitting at R2 who can save me. And because I went the Braden Proust option, I've actually got a lot of cash in the bank. So, there's a couple of other injured blokes, as I talked about, that I might have to address. I'm hoping that Dane Zorko comes back. I know he's going to probably dip in value, but I'm just praying that he'll play. I've still got Alex Witherden as one of my premium defenders in the back line as well. So if both of them don't play, then I might be scrambling and I'll probably have to throw another rookie on the field. But fingers crossed they can get back into their teams and uh, perform on the weekend. I'll, I'll take any score, to be honest, but... Hopefully, if that's the case and they are playing, then I'll be able to ditch injured duo Braden Proust and Zach Butters, who, disappointing, he was looking really good against the Swans when he got hurt as well. But even if he only misses a week, he's pushed my patience too far. I have to get rid of him. So I've got nearly 400K in the bank at Large Fries and Coke HQ. And just talking specifically about the Ruckman, I'll probably chase a gun midfielder as well. But Riley O'Brien... Might be the best ruckman left standing. 
Some people are talking about going a Luke Jackson cash grab, but that scares me. I know that he's priced quite cheaply and some people who are strapped for cash might want to go down that route. But I think I'm looking at Sean Darcy at the moment. I, as a Freo fan, do have a affectionate spot for the puffer fish, as I call him. He's known to have his own injury woes and knowing my luck, I'll bring him in and then I'll have to trade him out once he gets injured again. But it's a bit, Fucking ridiculous the amount of injuries we've had to Ruckman this year. You throw in Grundy, uh, Max Gorn, obviously. We saw popular bloke like Tristan Cherry. Some people have had Hugh Dixon roll through there as well. Bruce, Bryn Teagle, the rookie who looked like he was going well on the weekend. He dislocated his shoulder or busted his collarbone, one of the two. So he's out for a month plus. So, God, the Ruck rotation has been an absolute shit show this year. So hopefully for fantasy coaches, you can take uh, some solace in knowing you're not alone. The punishment seems to be league-wide in the ruck department. And with a couple of tweaks and changes, hopefully over the last two months or so, we can find some stability and we'll end the year with a bang in the ruck department. Second thing on the agenda I want to discuss is the upcoming uh, NBA draft. And I want to talk about the number one player in the draft. So a lot of people who are enthusiasts of the NBA draft and are passionate hoop heads will know that this class has some pretty big names in it. And I think there's a little bit of a gap and a bit of a tier separation between the top four prospects and the rest of the field. It might not work out the top four blokes are the first four picks on draft night. Obviously a bit comes down to team need versus uh, taking the best player available. But of those top four, I think my order that I have them in is a little bit different to most. So I won't run through the entire field, but sitting at number four, I've got Jaden Ivey at the moment out of Purdue. He reminds me a bit of Victor Oladipo. He's quite an explosive guard. He has taken leaps and bounds in his uh, jump shooting ability, especially from three. And he looks like, I don't think he can be like a, a floor general fitting the traditional sense and lead the league in assists, but he might be a bloke that averages 20 points, five boards and five assists. Like I said, he's absolutely a freak athletically and his burst of speed in the open court makes him a pretty dynamic uh, draft prospect. I think landing at Detroit or Sacramento with pick five or four could be a solid choice. I think his success will really depend on where he lands, which is probably why I view him as number four. He could prove all of us wrong and burst onto the scene when he becomes a pro, but I have him as the fourth ranked guy and the guy I've got number three might surprise a couple of people. It's uh, Jabari Smith, who a lot of people are saying is the best character in the draft. He's a hard worker. He has the highest floor. He's got a great jump shot. He looks like he's a three-level scorer. And in most mock drafts, he's sitting at number one and Orlando looms like they're going to take him on uh, Friday's draft. But I can't fully endorse picking Jabari Smith above a couple of the other prospects. It does concern me a little bit that he's not too fast. I mean, there's not a lot of big dudes that are, but it doesn't seem like he's going to be a, as much of a threat in the open court as I think some other big dudes can. He does have some solid handle. And like I said, he's a knockdown shooter, but I don't know if he's got a lot of upside from there. It could again, end up with egg on my face. He's got a lot of uh, tools that the advanced analytics love. He's got good defensive measure measurables and intangibles. And he, look, I think he is still going to be a great, player there's all-star potential with all these guys I'm naming but I have the other two guys uh, on the draft board slightly ahead of him number two is Paolo Banquero the Duke freshman I think he reminds me a little bit more of a, a Julius Randall type there's probably a couple of other blokes that I could 
throw around as comparisons, but I think that's his best comparison. He could play as like a bit of a playmaking big. He's not exactly as much of a knockdown shooter as Jabari Smith, who I mentioned already. And I think that from a defensive standpoint, he's not going to be a rim protector, but I wouldn't be shocked if I see plenty of highlights of Banquero in his rookie year where he grabs a rebound and goes coast to coast and finishes with an and one. Doesn't seem like he's going to be the guy that gets above the rim a lot and cranks it, but he's still 6'10". He's got a lot of room to improve on his jump shot, which I think is a plus. Obviously, you want to, the prospects to come in with some decent stroke, and I think that his shot selection is a little bit questionable, but I think a couple of those things were more victims of the circumstance he was in at Duke. I should mention as well that while I'm not super high on Jabari Smith, he does remind me a bit of a Michael Porter Jr., Rashad Lewis type, like a really good shooter, could prove to be a 25-point-per-game scorer. But like I said, I have a couple of other question marks around all those guys, really, Jaden Ivey, Jabari Smith, and Paolo Banquero. But Chet Holmgren, I think, is a home-run talent. I don't think he'll be a bloke that is the top scorer on an NBA team in the future, but he could be the guy that is a walking double-double and leads the league in blocks. He's a really good three-point shooter for his size, I think, in the catch-and-shoot game. I posted something on uh, the socials earlier today about how I think he'd be a perfect fit with the Oklahoma City Thunder and their budding backcourt with Shea Gildas-Alexander and Josh Giddy. He'd be a nightmare for defences as well. His versatility is pretty awesome. He's got tight handles for a bloke his size. And I think that the upside with Chet Holmgren is he could be, he's a unique player. I comped him to Chris Stapps Porzingis, but he handles the ball much better than Chris Stapps. And I think defensively, he's a bit better than Porzingis as well. So like I said, those four are a little bit separated from the rest of the pack, but there are guys like Dyson Daniels, um, oh, a couple of other blokes, I'm blank, blanking on their names, but regardless, I think that there are talents that could be found later on this draft. Usman Jeng, who just played for the Breakers, most recently, Jalen Duran, um, Benedict Matherin out of Arizona. There's a couple of guys who I think could prove people wrong and burst in the late lottery. But out of all the prospects in this draft class, I think that Chet Holmgren is easily the best bloke available. All right, sticking with the draft. The third thing I want to talk about is a little bit of free agency stuff. So the draft's on the 24th, free agency opens on the 30th for NBA teams. And I'm really glad that we actually have free agency happening after the draft this year. In years past, we've seen free agency unfold and then blokes will go into the draft and their teams are kind of almost set as they're selecting these guys. But especially for teams who don't really have a lot concrete with regards to their future, you could look at someone like Indiana. They've got some good pieces, but their free agent moves will probably dictate on what they can do on draft night. And I think as a result, we'll probably see a lot more trades on draft night as well. Free agency does have some big names in it. There are the likes of Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Bradley Beal. All of those guys have player options though. So I think they'll pick them up so that they can get seriously paid. And the probably the most intriguing unrestricted free agent in my eyes is Zach Levine. There are some other blokes who will get a lot of attention and, after the draft, once it's in the book. So I'll probably do a bit of a piece teasing the free agents and looking at A, the best case scenario for fit and B, if they should stay with their current teams or something of the sort. And Levine is one that is very intriguing. I don't think he'll leave the Bulls. I think they will pay him, but who knows? There might be another team like Dallas, for example. They've got Christian Wood. They've got Luka Doncic, maybe if they were able to 
do a bit of a sign and trade and move on from some of the contracts they got to land Levine. That could be interesting. I don't know if they can actually afford that, but that's just a hypothetical that sprung into my head. But regardless, I am glad that we've got free agency happening after the draft this year, because at least teams can probably be a bit more cavalier and a bit more freewheeling when it comes to trading picks and moving contracts and things like that, knowing that regardless of what they give up on draft night, they can still address some of the needs in free agency. All right, a lot of fantasy and a lot of draft talk. Fourth thing I want to talk about is the ticker that we finally saw from the West Coast Eagles because that Geelong game, I actually thought that they were going to get over them at one point. I did uh, have a little bit of a kip in the uh, couch, reclining couch watching West Coast and Geelong, but it's worth noting that it was nice to see West Coast actually putting up a bit of fight. There's still a lot of glaring holes throughout that team and Jeremy McGovern's questionable injury might see him miss more time than most. Uh, expect him to, and he could be out for the rest of the season. I hope not because uh, an Albany pro podcast has a lot of time for Jess McGovern, but regardless of his fit, we saw the likes of Dom Sheed and Elliot Yo, Luke Shuey. They were still missing Tim Kelly as well. And there were a lot of other big names that kind of rolled back into that West coast side. And they still have, again, blokes that can come in and make them a bit stronger. I don't know where Alex Witherden fits in the pecking order, but I still view him as part of their best 22, even if he butchers the footy, on occasion, regardless of their on-field and off-field changes that they make to their team, it was nice to see them actually playing with a bit of fight and actually competing for the footy. They were in a game of footy. I think there was some other absurd stats that were hurled around saying that this was the closest West Coast's been in a game for about two months. And Geelong's no easy beats. They didn't play up to capacity and they got the job done. They would have been happy just to come over to the West and steal four points and go home. But Regardless, it was nice to see West Coast actually fighting a little bit. They've got Essendon this week. And I think if I was a betting man, which I am from time to time, I'd be putting a little bit of my hard-earned cash on West Coast to win. And I won't be shocked if come season's end, they're currently sitting at the bottom of the ladder. West Coast might finish above North Melbourne and above the likes of Essendon. I know the Bombers just won on the weekend against St Kilda, but I don't think I have as much faith in the likes of the Roos and Essendon compared to West Coast. Now, Injuries have obviously hurt West Coast season so far, and that could dictate a bit closing out the season. But it was nice to finally see them playing with a bit of heart, a bit of hunger. They had a lot of the blokes from the 92 Premiership in attendance. So maybe it was a one-off, but I think hopefully this will be a performance that helps galvanise the group at the Coasters and sees them win a couple more games before season 2022 comes to a close. Okie dokie. Fifth thing on the agenda. I don't want to talk about this one too much because we've talked about the Charlotte Hornets, I think, on about three or four podcasts in a row. And JLo and I talked a bit about what route they're going to go down with their player movement and who they're going to pay. But I'll tell you one thing. No one expected Kenny Atkinson to uh, accept the head coaching job and then retract it and decide to stay with the Golden State Warriors. Can't blame the bloke. I mean, he just was a lead assistant for a championship winning squad and I know that I've poured hot water on Golden State's ability to contend for titles in the future, but if they keep that whole group together and the young guys get a bit better and Steph Curry, Draymond and Clay can still play up to their potential, then there's no reason why Kenny Atkinson won't win another couple of rings with Golden State. Might be a stretch saying a couple, but either way, it's back to the drawing board for the Charlotte Hornets. I know that Mike D'Antoni was apparently the next bloke in the pecking order in their head coaching search, and it might even be announced by the time that you're listening to this, that he is the head coach of the Charlotte Hornets. But there are a couple of other assistants and former head coaches that are around the mark. Quinn Schneider obviously is without a job and 
don't know what his plans are moving into next season. Terry Stotts as well out of Portland. I think he's a solid coach. Frank Vogel is attracting some interest in the Utah gig and he will obviously be another candidate. So it's a bit of a bummer because I was really excited to see what Kenny Atkinson did with the Hornets. But now that he's gone, I guess they've got to kind of lick their wounds and move on, deal with what they can. And if they promote one of those other guys who I mentioned, I don't think I'll be losing all faith in Charlotte, but I don't think I'm going to have as much enthusiasm as uh, I did when they hired Atkinson initially. The last item on the agenda, number six, this Sportsby pod is Luke Jackson's potential payday. Now, I talked about how he's going to probably be thrust into the lead ruck role with Max Gorn injured, but there's some stories circulating and where there's usually smoke, there's fire regarding Fremantle offering Luke Jackson a shitload of money. And as a Dockers fan, starting to see the Fremantle boys hit their straps, I don't really want them to upset the apple cart by paying Luke Jackson potentially ten and a half million dollars over a seven-year period. One and a half annually would, or one and a half million, I should say, would make him one of the highest, if not the highest, played players in the league. And I don't know if Fremantle needs to go balls to the walls to try and get that type of bloke. Knowing Dockers and their free agency uh, and trading history of the past when it comes to player acquisition, this is a perfect Dockers move. We'll probably throw that money at Luke Jackson and then be unable to re-sign Caleb Sarong for the cash he wants and he'll go to Essendon and win a Brownlow. Let's pray to God something like that doesn't happen. But these ruck forward types are starting to become pretty valuable pieces. I know that Rory Lobb was looking to go back to GWS in the off-season and he's having a pretty strong year at Frio at the moment, arguably his best year that he's had in purple. So if he decides to leave again, I can see the need for getting someone to fill that hole but I don't think you have to go and pay Luke Jackson this much dough. Now it could just be me trying to talk it not into existence and trying to hose down all these rumors and all these reports that Frio is going to throw a bag at Luke Jackson. And don't get me wrong. The bloke's going to get paid, but I don't think he should be paid as one of the top 10 guys in the league. I can see the appeal and I can see the upside that he's got and how rare a talent he is, but I don't know. I don't love the idea of paying him a million and a half dollars a year. So I might change my tune if 12 months from now they do sign him and they uh, go undefeated through 14 weeks of the season. But as it stands right now, I'd much rather see the Dockers split that dosh up and, you know, extend other guys who need their contracts paid out. I know that they're bat pretty deep and we've been pretty lucky with injuries this year, but paying Luke Jackson 10 mil over seven years is probably a bit of a risk for the Dockers. Another episode in the books. Thanks for tuning in once again. Like I said, I'll be back on Wednesday with JLo to talk uh, all things previewing the next round, a bit more fantasy bits and pieces, and we'll unpack a couple of other NBA topics as well. Draft on the horizon and a very, very testing week ahead at the trade table for fantasy coaches. My rookie guide will be up on Wednesday uh, on the Dream Team Talk Boys site. Uh, plenty of cash cows to talk about as well at the moment. And like I said, a sports buy article has finally hit the dot coms. I know it's amazing. It's been the first one that I've written in a while, but I have another one and a couple of others in the chamber that I'm going to produce later in the week and over the weekend as well. So make sure you check them out. Subscribe to the pod and to the YouTube channel for more episodes. Once again, thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time.